Welcome to Evolution Impossible, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. Our host is Dr. Sven Estring with special guest Dr. John Ashton and our panel. You're joining us for Evolution Impossible, where we're exploring the scientific evidence for the theory of evolution. And we have to say that we're starting to get a deluge of reasons to see why evolution is impossible. My name is Dr. Sven Erstring. Back with me in the studio today is Ali Turner. Thanks for joining us. We've got Stephen Aveling Bro, good to have you here, and Jean Ray Brew, glad to have you back with us. And of course, we've got our resident expert, Dr. John Ashton. Where would we be without you on this journey together with all of us? You know, talking about a deluge of evidence, one of the landmark events in the Bible is the flood, which the book of Genesis tells us covered the whole earth. That would be a pretty incredible flood indeed. And yet some scholars maintain that the flood was only a local event, which impacted a region in the Middle East. But what we want to know is where does the scientific evidence point? Does it point to a local flood or a global flood? So, John, help us out here. Why are scholars and experts so um, concerned and, and really believe that the flood was a local event? Well, there are, I guess, some other histories in the area that talk about the flood. And, and also, you know, they, I don't know really why they want to uh, say that. Maybe they think it's impossible that it could be a global event and therefore it had to be a, a local event. But really, if it was just a local event, why didn't God say to Noah, well, just pack up your family and go for a holiday north or south, you know, mm. <laughs> just walk over mm. the mountains. And why did all the animals have to go in the ark? You know, I mean, just migrate the animals. It, it just doesn't make sense, you know. And of course, you've got the meteorite impact, which was supposedly destroyed all of the, the dinosaurs, which was, you know, global. And yet, um, why not have a, a global flood as well? So moving on to, to the scientific evidence, we want to explore with you uh, and find out what is the scientific evidence that we have for a global flood event? Well, the global flood event is actually recorded in the scientific textbook. So they admit that at the end of the Cretaceous period, um, the geology textbooks essentially say the whole world was covered by water. And there are a number of other um, uh, cre um, extinction events too. The first one, the Ordovician, uh, about 450 uh, million years ago, according to conventional dating. And then another uh, series of extinction events. So the geologists recognised that there were extinction events that wiped out huge numbers of animals at those times, huge percentages of uh, marine life in one event and, and so forth. Um, and so these are recognised, these global extinction events are recognised. The big issue is that the Bible puts these events only thousands of years ago. Right, so it's a matter of timing. Yes, only thousands of years ago. And of course, a lot of people... You know, I feel that the story of Noah's Ark and this sort of thing is a, is a little bit childish, but that's something we can discuss another time. But mm. um, the, ev the geological evidence for a massive catastrophic flood is, is certainly there. And, and in fact, there's been books written now, The Earth's Catastrophic Past. 
Uh, one of the things uh, that the author of that, for example, Dr. Derek Ager, uh, points out is, well, you know, I don't want creationists to grab onto this. You know, I still mm. believe in long ages. But we can see that the long ages don't fit either. And we can talk about that uh, perhaps another uh, time. Mm. But the evidence is there that there was a catastrophic destruction of life on Earth. The geologists put them over a period of about... Um, uh, 400 million years apart from about 450 million years ago to 65 million years ago, whereas the Bible puts this all together. But the Bible picture has some other advantages too, in that in the Bible it talks about the fountains of the deep <laughs> opening and coming forth. And a lot of people just have this picture, oh, it rained, you know, for 40 days and 40 Long nights period of time. and this sort yep. of thing, yeah. But in actual fact, the Bible talks about massive and these fountains of the deep we, you know, that's what the Bible says. And that's as far as we can know. But it probably involved massive amounts of water, groundwater that was under there. That would have been much warmer, of course. That would have heated the oceans up as well. Mm. Um, and so we had a lot of climatic conditions that occurred. Now, this actually provides a beautiful explanation for the ice ages because we would have had this massive warming effect after the flood, and then, of course, with the, a lot of volcanic matter and ash and this sort of thing, we would have had cooling that occurred mm. after that, which would produce rise age, and so produce these cycles mm. afterwards. Uh, so going into the, the evidence itself, would, do we find in the strata um, evidence for this global flood? Where, yes, what, well, what is the specific evidence well, we're looking at? Well, in, in particular, we, if we, say, look at the Grand Canyon, we see all these layers on top of one another, that have been laid down, that must have been laid down underwater. In, mm -hmm. And this air covers huge areas, like over the continent of the United States. We have massive amounts of uh, material deposited. So if we have a layer that's covering, say, uh, over a million square kilometres, that's a massive amount. And that's not a local flood? No, no. And it <laughs> might be 30 or 40 metres thick, this particular layer. That's a huge... And this is a solid material. To carry that amount of material... You think, you know, 30 metres deep of solid material spread over um, uh, a million uh, square kilometres requires a huge amount of water to transport that huge volume of solid material. You know, and the average density of rocks about 2.7, so two, you know, nearly three times the density of water has got to be moved. So a lot of force and to be carried by huge distances. So we're talking about materials spread over huge areas of the continents mm. and all the continents spread like this. Mm. That buried these, these, these creatures at this time. Uh, oh. One of the interesting things is there's no erosion in between the layers. So again, yes. what these layers are dated millions of years apart. And of course, some of the shots of the Grand Canyon might have 300 million years or 200 million years showing in that particular shot. And yet all those layers of pale, there's no signs of erosion. And yet in the Grand Canyon itself, we have massive erosion. Mm. You know, and I, I get erosion in my gravel driveway just when we get... You've got a Grand up, Canyon you know? in your very home? <laughs> <laughs> mini one. Mini one. <laughs> a very mini, mini. But uh, so this is a classic. Another classic example is folding. We often find that the strata are folded very sharply and this sort of thing. Once, if those layers are millions of years apart, they're not, and the hard rock, they're not going to fold up. 
And we can see that those folds represent very plastic forms of the of the rock. Mm. Everywhere we look, when we look at these structures, it all points that these layers can't be millions of years apart that the evolutionists require for their theory. It all has to have happened at, at, at a very you know recent time. Mm, very interesting. Very interesting. Stephen, it looks like you've got a question for John. Absolutely. So, so talking about the stratification there and the lack of erosion between these layers. Um, you know, we look at things like the great coal deposits, which we have very close to us here in Australia. Mm. You know, the, the great Newcastle deposits around here. And, you know, I've seen with my own eyes, we see, for example, fossilised um, wood and things like that, trees that are spanning across, you know, many metres through these different layers. Well, in my experience, you know, timber seems to decay after, you know, decades, not millions of years. I mean, it, in millions of years, there wouldn't be much left. So how is it that this timber has remained there, was able to fossilise, and then you know some of it's turned into coal or has been preserved in other ways? How does that work? Well, again, these are major problems. I don't know how geologists uh, attempt to explain this in terms of the, the time scales. Um, when I uh, was doing geology, we, we simply learnt the, the layers, we, we learnt how to do the mapping and, and so forth in, in stratigraphy. In paleontology, we learnt the names of the fossils. But what I do know, talking to people that there are, and, the, and particularly the coal miners in this area, mm. have come across these uh, vertical uh, tree fossils preserved, even in the coal seams. And they were even known to Lyle, Charles Lyle, as I've wow. mentioned in previous session, the ones in Nova Scotia. Hmm. So the, these are major problems, these polystrate fossils, and they're found in many places around the world. And of course, the uh, Mount St. Helens eruption that occurred in mm. the uh, 1980, I think it was, yes. or thereabouts, uh, when they, uh, those trees were blown out and then they flowed in the lake and so forth, we can see how that sort of scenario could explain these structures. But the important point is that these structures pass through many layers that if we use the Lyle-type dating approach would span tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of years, whereas in actual fact... Yeah, but in actual fact, they can't be. So mm. everywhere we look, we've got this, um, you know, we've got this sort of evidence. Mm. Mm. Right. So moving to this concept of the, the Ice Age, as you mentioned before, mm. um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a time which fascinates kids, you know, the woolly mammoths and, and the saber-toothed <laughs> tigers and, and things like that. So I guess it's, it's a challenge. How does the Ice Age fit into the, the, the flood um, account in terms of and, and compared to like the um, Lankovich um, cycles and all of that kind of things in terms of geological history. Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. Well, the we many of us have heard about the ice core data and the ice cores go back yes. hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of years and this sort of thing. So let, let's have a look at this. We, we've there's powerful evidence for ice ages. And in the relatively recent past, for example, the official age for the Grand Canyon Ice Age is only about 12,000 years, even though Lyle dated it about 35,000 mm. years, you know, from his guess. And his guess was way too old. And that was because of recent Ice Age activity um, in, the, in the area. But there's no actual secular model that can explain the Ice Ages. So when we look at the Melkovich um, uh, sort of theory, it, it's looking at perturbations or slight perturbations in the till of the earth, mm. varying the amount of sunlight. But it's not enough change in energy to actually trigger this. But they've got mm. nothing else 
to sort of hang their hat on. But I've had a look at this Ice Age data because, you know, there are a lot of questions to raise on this when they say, you know, people say to me, hey, John, so you believe the Earth's only six and a half thousand years old? What about these ice ages? They measure them, they go back 100,000 years. Mm. Well, that, the data just isn't there for a number of reasons. When you apply increased pressure to ice, it, it melts. You know, if you have a block of ice and you put a wire across it with a couple of weights, it just slowly moves down because under that little bit of wire, increased pressure, yep. decreased melting point. And mm-hmm. so um, what happens is that you... the you have, as the layers get compressed and compressed, the melting point changes, so any particular layering there is is going to blur. Plus, when you look at the literature, you have that the um, up in, um, Antar- in Antarctica, for example, you've got maybe 30 different ice ages supposedly recorded, mm. yet you go to the Greenland ice core and there's only one ice age recorded. So okay. there's major discrepancies between this ice age data and also the interpretation becomes very, very blurred. Mm. And it's actually a very similar phenomena in terms of when they uh, date these valves. And another area is, so, so we look at these lake valves and these are where you get these little multi-layered layers that are re- supposed to represent sedimentation that's occurred with the melting snows through mm-hmm. the years. Mm. The whole thing is that and they say that they can date these back tens of thousands of years and so forth. The whole problem is that doesn't really work. In real life, we have what is called bioturbulence. Right. And bioturbulence mixes these layers up. Mm. Though when you dig down in beach sands and this sort of thing today, you don't see these as you see them for the, you know, a metre or so down, and then it's all mixed up. Mm. That's why we observe. So the fact that we observe these layers in the valves and these sort of things represents really very short time frame. Mm. Another fascinating thing with the ice courses, and we can do this calculation, is that we know that a group of bombers uh, ran out of fuel and landed on the one of the Greenland glaciers during World War Two. Mm. Right, so we've got the date of when that happened. They were able to land on the ice. They they landed on the ice. The crews got off. The planes were left there. They had no fuel. You know, right. they get fuel there. <laughs> <laughs> and they got the rescued the people. They left the planes there. Now the planes, since 1941, 42, whenever it was, have been buried. Right, but a few years ago they drilled down and they they got one. Matter of fact, they got one out. Right, mm. but it was under something like. 250 feet of ice. Did it still work? That would be amazing, it. wouldn't it? Well, I suppose it would be might have evolved. pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't evolved. <laughs> but um, the interesting thing was, if you just do the simple maths and, and you look at how much snow fell over that plane in that particular time. This is something we can measure today, right? Mm. And if people want to apply the uniformitarian principle, let me apply that uniformitarian principle. And the whole thickness of the Greenland uh, uh, ice sheet would have been deposited less than 2,000 years ago, so since the time of Christ, Mm. right? So people say to me, uh, so, you know, that's... A lot it could be a lot younger than 100,000 years. It can only right. be a couple of thousand years to deposit that amount of ice. And people say to me, oh, John, there's a different uh, snowfall rate there. You know, it's uh, much slower in these other areas. Right. And, and I said, well, how do you know that? Mm. You know, it's mm. not something you know. If you, I go out and measure this, the, uh, it explains everything again in short time frames. Right. And this is an important point, I think, when we need to look at all this data what does the data that we can go out and measure today tell us? Right? And it really all points to the young ages and, and, and its position. Like, for example, 
one of the guys I met just recently was um, he's, he specialises in, in studying uh, fossils and he's done some work at the whale fossils that they've found on the mountains in Peru. Hmm, now, on the top of the mountains. Yes, yes, on the top of the mountain, not bur- buried, on the okay. top in the desert they've been abound. Now, whales, although they can breathe air, they're not noted for mountain climbing. And uh, there's a whole, you know, pod of these whales are found there and they're very well preserved. The baleen's still there, hasn't broken off. So they're obviously buried very quickly. But why are they up there? Why are the mm. whales up there? Mm. Now, this raises a very, another, when we look at the Earth's surface, we find crinoid stems in the limestones and this sort of thing up on the top of Mount Everest. Right now, these little creatures live down the, the bottom of the, you know, water mm. sort of thing. Why are they up there? So, so would it be geological kind of thrusting that they talk about? Would that have got their whales right. all the way to the top? Well, that's right. So what we have is we, we talk about this picture of the, the flood, right, and this sort of thing. But the flood embraces a whole catastrophic event mm. where God destroyed the surface of, that, of the earth at that time and started again. And it involves not only the deluge of water, but it involves the movement of probably the continents and pushing up the mountain ranges. So mm. the picture that we get from geology, from what we observe today, what we can go out and measure, drill down with our cores, go out with our little pick and see and photograph today, the picture that we have is that we have all these parallel layers that were laid down on top of one another, must have been laid down very rapidly because there's no erosion in between. Or they're folded up, and which must have happened mm. while they were all soft, and so all the layers must have been soft. They rapidly buried a whole lot of creatures from tiny little things to really big things that are all mixed up. Mm. And then after that time, there was massive movement on the crust mm. that pushed up the mountains mm. in the different ranges, the Alps, the Himalayas, South American mountains and so forth. And that's why we find these fossils up there. And then after that particular time, over hundreds of years, there were massive temperature cycles as the earth cooled down, became very cold and then warmed up again. Mm. And that explains exactly what we see. Mm. You know, Dr. John, um, one, one of the things I was wondering is just, just backtracking a little bit um, to, to the strata, the widespread stratas. Um, I heard some people refer to that and say this is evidence to say um, that the continents were previously connected and then moved apart over mil- millions of years. What would you say to that? So the idea of Gondwana. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, and so what they're saying is, well, that could explain the fact that we have similar layers of strata around the world, that mm. these things all sort of moved apart and so forth. Well, there most certainly could have been continental drift, and it could have been actually, in fact, quite rapid, uh, particularly if it was lubricated hydraulically with, okay. uh, with water and so forth. I guess we're getting into space here where... There's only certain things that we can know, and we, there are things that we, we can't know. We can make measurements today mm. and do our best. But if we um, haven't observed it or... Yes, yeah, yeah. And, but there certainly could have been movement, how that happened, where the energy came from and this sort of thing. I understand creationists have done models of this to show that, yeah, they could have very rapid movement okay. and, and this sort of thing. A lot of issues to look at um, mm. in those uh, particular models. But I think one of the important points in my reading is that the creationist models that are being developed seem to explain things better than the long age models, and, and particularly 
really, we have so much evidence that the long ages aren't there, you know, so they really can't go fall back there. Mm. Mm. Ali, you've been very patient uh, <laughs> waiting there to, to jump in with a question. Did you have a, a comment or a thought for John? Yeah, look, I'm um, going back to the um, talking about the Grand Canyon earlier and the different layers. Um, I'm just I'm just wondering how we know that they were deposited underwater. Is there any other ways that those layers could have been deposited or are we sure that it was from some kind of watery catastrophe? Yes, we would expect that the volume of material there would have to be moved underwater. Of course, your sedimentary rocks does include rocks carried by any sort of fluid, and so that could include air. Um, but it's the, the structures and so forth are not as, as likely as the, the dunes. So it, it very strongly points to massive movement of water. And I think, you know, geologists would accept that. They, mm. they wouldn't question that. Those layers were laid down underwater at that particular time. Mm. And to move such massive amounts of material, I mean, some of the areas cover... I, I mean, one of the things, I think it's the, um, the Chilini... Um, I'm not saying that right, uh, deposit, it's, it's over about two and a half million square kilometres. Mm. Uh, you know, and it, it's quite thick, many metres thick. So that's a huge volume of eroded material that has, has to be moved. So mm. it's, it's massive catastrophic conditions, very different to anything we've observed, like in recent human history. It's the only, uh, I think it's, uh, it's evidence it's a one-off type event that occurred mm. as recorded in the Bible at that time. Mm. And in the book, you also talked about how there were some layers which actually were, were kind of thrust up and moved across the top of other layers uh, and pointed out the evidence, how that pointed towards the flood. Could you just um, share with us what, what the idea was there? Yes, well, of course, sometimes they find uh, slabs of rock layers that are in the wrong order. And so in order to explain these, they, we have overthrusting. Right. And this is an area where there's a bit of contention and debate because some of these areas are, you know, cover... The, the overthrusting has been for a long way, so why didn't the rocks all break up and, and this Because sort of, of the thing. friction. And, and so, again, the only possible explanation for these big slabs of rock to move so far with overthrusting is that they had to be hydraulically lubricated. Mm. Otherwise, they're going to break up. One of the other factors I guess I haven't uh, mentioned is that there are areas where there's like 100 million years of fossils, of, of uh, layers missing and yet there's no signs of erosion in between mm. so, so where, there are, they, where do they go well they're just not there and so i think one of the things is that in different layers they just weren't deposited in the first place mm. Interesting. Uh, yes it's not that they were eroded away they just weren't deposited so again when we look at all these scenarios and these sort of irregularities it points to the fact that it had to be a very short-term event you know, not over, over means, not even over thousands of years. And then you've got, you know, the examples in the Mount St. Helens eruption where the, um, you know, the canyons form very quickly when they had a, an eruption uh, that carved out a canyon and the volcanic ash that was deposited that formed the, all these layers mm. that if you looked at them, you might interpret them at tens of multiple tens of thousands of years and yet mm. they formed in a few hours, mm. you know, this sort of scenario. We've also got the island of Surtsey that exploded again off Iceland. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, the amazing structures that, that formed with that before the ice. So it showed that, it, again, within, uh, you know, a few years, 
I think within one year they had the first plants on Surtsey after the surface cooled down. Mm. And, um, and then, you know, within a few years, they had permanent plants established. Now, we know with the flood that um, the seeds and all this material would have been, you know, washed around and spread around. And so when we saw Surtsey and the, how quickly that island, that barren volcanic island out in the middle of the sea got plants on it and the plants grew, um, it shows mm. that uh, the earth could... Um, after the flood, you know, reformed very quickly. Plus the flood was a, a, a miracle as well. And God had a plan there uh, to destroy the earth. But I think when we look at the science, and the bottom line is this, when we look at the science of what we can go out and measure today, it fits the biblical model to a T. Mm. Mm. You know, geologists can't explain these rapid folding strata. They can't find the, fa- the fact that there are no erosion is occurring in between these layers, and yet these layers span millions of years, and yet they're all flat and parallel. They, you know, they, uh, they Even can't... massive coal beds are hard to explain. Yes, yes. The way that that hasn't decayed over time, but that was compressed. And yes. as of recently I saw some research, it takes a very short amount of time to actually form the coal, relatively speaking, mm. and the long ages might have caused its decline. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm not an expert on, you know, coal formation, yeah, sure. but I think it, um, the flood model again explains that coal where you, you have the heat from the volcanoes, all these fossils massively cleared, they float, uh, form together and, you know, turbulence and then get buried and dumped on mm. um, and get buried. So the flood model certainly explains the, the coal. And the fact that you have this, the, you know, the, all this timber buried and then the, the heat to, you know, colify it and so forth. Mm. Hmm. Another visually very um, stunning thing that we see around the world is chalk uh, layers. You oh, know, you've yes, got the, yeah. the, the cliffs of Dover. High cliffs of Dover, um, yes. And yeah. yeah, just how does That's, that kind of fit into the, uh, the flood model and also the, the geological yeah, form so as that, well? Yeah, so that's the Cretaceous. And of course, that uh, particular deposit there spreads from Ireland through to, to Turkey. You know, mm. it's a massive deposit full of fossils. Uh, but these similar chalk, uh, chalk deposits for the Cretaceous, Great Australian Bight, oh, same period. Uh, so they're all, all around the world. So again, these deposits that have these same structures all around the world point to the flood being a global event. Mm-hmm. Impossible to be a series of little, you know, local floods because little local floods wouldn't produce these same patterns of strata that we see around the world today. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the little local flood model in all these different areas around the world just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, everything points to the biblical model. Mm-hmm. And really, I think it's a wake up call. Then I think our science would progress far more rapidly mm-hmm. if we accepted that the Bible in actual fact was inspired by God. So, John, as we start to wrap up and head towards the finish of our episode, could you just summarise what are the what's the key evidence that leads you to believe in a global flood? The fact that when we look at the global picture of the surface of the Earth, there's this thin layer yes. of sedimentary rock laid down oh. by water. We've got all these massive uh, sedimentary beds around here with parallel rock layers. Um, in them all laid out. We've got all the buried fossils of all the buried animals. Uh, To me, it just all points to one big global catastrophe. Mm, It's amazing. You know, so there really is scientific evidence for a global flood. 
And that really builds my faith and confidence in the Bible. And you may may be wondering if there's any other evidence that the flood was a catastrophe that impacted our whole entire planet. Well, you'll definitely want to join us next time as we explore the historical evidence for a global flood. In the meantime, you can catch up on previous programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. And the other thing as well, if you want to dive into the evidence, go to your favorite online bookstore and get one of Dr. John Ashton's book, Evolution Impossible. We look forward to you joining us next time. for joining us on Evolution Impossible, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au or call us within Australia on 024973 3456. We'd love to hear from you.